Luke chapter 15, we're going to try to get through the whole chapter. We will get through the whole chapter. We're going to do communion at the end of the service, just to let you know. I'll call the kids back in at the end. But Luke 15, chapter, uh, Luke 15 verse 1 says, Now ta- the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees, as you know, many of you know, how many of you know who the Pharisees are? Okay, a lot of you, some of you don't, but they are the group of religious leaders at the time that held strict observant to the, observance to the Mosaic law, so the written law, and then also there were traditional laws or interpretations of the law of Moses that uh, they had, in, it had embellished and, and kind of twisted to um, really not teach as the doctrines of, of God, but they were really the commandments of men. And so they were the typical legalists of the day. They went way beyond what God intended in their interpretation of the law. And they essentially demonstrated an outward religiosity without an inward uh, heart towards God. <clears throat> How many of you have struggled with that at, from time to time? Um, you're doing all the things you know you should do, but you could care less about the people who are dying and go to hell around you. Anybody have that problem going on in your own heart? Pharisee. Uh, so let's, before we start throwing stones at the Pharisees, realize we all kind of move in and out of that from time to time. May the Lord have mercy on us. And this is why they muttered when they saw Jesus welcoming and eating with sinners. As we spoke of recently, the tax collectors were there. And tax collectors were hated by the Jews. And uh, because basically there were Jews who had gone over to the Roman government, gotten a job, and then taxed their own people and took advantage of them. And so they were viewed as national traitors. They were lower than the low. They were just like Gentiles, non-Jews. And, and so they hated this group. The Jews generally just stayed away from these tax collectors. And the other group of sinners, it just was a general group called sinners there. And this would include probably prostitutes, probably the sexually immoral, thieves, and all the people who basically didn't even give a care about being a Jew, the law of God. They were just openly in defiant sin towards God. And that was, a, and yet we find that Jesus welcomed them and ate with them. Jesus welcomed them and ate with them. Think about that. That's very important. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is not welcoming them and eating with them so he can participate in their sin. If you think that, that is, you're, you're totally off. That's totally backwards. And somehow we think that we need to go and participate in the things that sinners do in order to reach them for Christ. That is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not engaging in sinful activity nor pretending like he is when he is engaging with them. Rather, he is entering their domain and bringing the message of Christ to it. Whereas the Pharisees wouldn't even go to where the sinners were. They would stay away from them because they didn't care about them. They cared about their own religiosity. They had a, a misconstrued view of God. So Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners. This is significant because eating uh, in that culture uh, was a big deal, as it is in some cultures today, probably maybe in your house. The idea of eating was more of 
was more than food. It was viewed as a bonding time. And even in Middle Eastern cultures today, you can go over there and before you really do anything, you would sit and you would have a meal and it would be long and you would get to know one another. But there would be a common bowl of some soup or some food in the middle and a piece of bread and and everybody would grab from the same pot, from the same uh, bread and sometimes dip in the same bowl. Yeah, they double dipped, all that kind of stuff was going on, that the idea is that the same food that you're eating is the same food that I'm eating, and therefore we kind of are bonding. It's the same nurture that's happening to both of us. And so to sit there and to eat with a sinner in the eyes of the Pharisee would be to become bonded, so to speak, with a sinner. And so they would say, what are you doing? I can't believe you're even entertaining these people. And this is why communion is so powerful. We'll have communion later. It, it it isn't individual pieces we receive. It is the body of Christ broken for us. It is His blood. It is figurative, yet we are unified in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. A figurative, uh, figurative um, example that God gave us to remind us of a spiritual reality. That we are one with Christ through the sacrifice He made. And this is why non-believers are excluded from communion because... We are not one with them. We're not one with them. Because in order to become one with Christ, one must repent and believe upon the Son of God. Does that make sense? And so when we are doing that, we are being unified in Christ uh, in, in His shed blood. We are the body of Christ, so to speak. But that's not what happens when you're sitting around and eating a meal. That has nothing to do with it. And Jesus knew that simply eating and drinking with sinners was not becoming one with them. The Pharisees were focused on the external, and they were more concerned with who Jesus was welcoming because that's what they were concerned with, rather than the heart for the lost. They viewed God through the law, and they did not see the heart behind the law. They looked at all the regulations and thought that keeping the regulations was what pleased God when actually it was the heart behind the regulations, which Jesus brings out masterfully in in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and you can go on. And so Jesus starts to give this parable. He gives three parables. This will be the first of three parables today that explain why Jesus welcomed and ate, for, ate with sinners. What motivated him? What was different between the Pharisees and between Jesus? Why was he engaged with them, welcoming them, eating with them, while, Jesus, while the Pharisees were like, just get them away from me, don't even touch me. Verse 3 says, Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. This was a picture that everyone understood in the day. There were shepherds all over the place with sheep. Obviously, uh, in, in Jerusalem, there's a sacrificial system which uh, had, you had a great amount of livestock stock around there. And there were shepherds. 
And the main role of shepherd was to feed and to tend and protect those sheep. He was obligated to do that. And because of this, when one would go off, he would be obligated to go after that sheep and find it and bring it back. It was very valuable to him. That's how they made money. And sheep are kind of dumb creatures. We are all kind of sheep of the Lord. Sheep tend to... um, they tend to get really dirty and not care about it. And here they fall over and they can't get up like all the time. They, they wander off into dangerous places. They need a shepherd to help them. And one sheep gets away from this herd in Jesus' story and he goes off. And what does the shepherd do? He goes out. He leaves the sheep into the open country leaves the 99, and he goes after that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he picks it up, he puts it on his shoulders, and he brings it back to his home, where he calls his friends and neighbors, and he rejoices. And Jesus in this parable is illustrating that Jesus is on a mission from God to seek lost sinners so that they would repent and he would bring them home. And that's what Jesus does and that's what he did and he was doing with these prostitutes, with these tax collectors, with these sinners. They ridiculed Jesus for doing this. They would much rather hang out with the righteous than seeking the lost. Now, there's a time to hang out with the righteous. We're doing it this morning, amen? And I like it. I praise God for that. And we cannot abandon that. That's a command from the Lord. That we help st- make sure that we are not wandering off as we hang out in the herd, hopefully. There's edification going on. There's what's going on in your life. Oh, really? So, you're falling over and you can't get up. All right, let's, let's just get you up, right? But the Lord was not on earth primarily to seek the righteous out. The 99 in this parable, who he was after, he went to find the lost sheep. That's what he was here for, to find the lost sheep, to save them, to pay for their sin, and to redeem them and bring them home. And... They were among the tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves and sinners and the reason that Jesus welcomed them and ate ate with them and preached the message of the kingdom to them is so that they would be given that opportunity to be saved. And it is really God's, and this is really important, why? It is really God's eternal joy to bring sinners to salvation. That is something that is very evident all through Scripture. Really, the theme of these three parables that we're going through, and we'll go quicker, don't worry, is God making sinners into sons and daughters. It brings Him joy. That is what His joy is to do. You can't add joy to God, but that is who He is, and from His character, things happen. Does that make sense? You can't make God more joyous, so to speak. He is joy. And from His joy, from His good pleasure, from who He is, He looks at lost people and it is His joy 
to bring them to himself. I know he's been talking a lot about repent or burn, turn or burn, right? Because that's where we've been. But now we're focused on the joy of God in when people repent and when people turn. Praise God, amen? It's good to get that heavenly perspective a little bit. We've got our responsibility, but look at, look at who's behind it all. A God who joyfully brings sinners to repentance. That's what he loves to do. So much so that he sent his greatest, he sent his son to go do that job. And that's the theme. God by nature is joyous. Do you know that about God? That you will never meet a more joyful being ever. God is joy. He started it with us. The very fact that there is joy in the world is because He is joyous. Isn't that great to know? You can see it through Scripture. I'm only going to read a couple, but like 1 Chronicles 16, 25 through 27. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His dwelling place. Strength and joy are in His dwelling place. Where he lives is joy. I like that. Or Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of what? Joy. And at your right hand, pleasures evermore. There's so many more. You can go into first, uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 1 and just read about the Yes, the predestination of God and, and all these things that He foreknew according to His good pleasure. Wow, it was His good pleasure to save you, to redeem you. That's, that's like His idea of fun. He, that is what He's about. I like that. Aren't you thankful that God has that characteristic within Him? That is who He is. He's joyful. John 15, 9 through 11, where does our joy come from? Jesus, in speaking to His disciples, He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And I have told you this, that my joy may be where? In you. And that your joy may be what? Complete or full. How many of you are lacking joy? Go study that verse. Obey my commands. What is my command? The commands of the Lord are not burdensome. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does he say? Go love your brother as yourself. Go do it. You're going to have joy. I love the little acronym I learned when I was a first Christian. Jesus, others, you. <laughs> you want to have joy? Jesus, others, you. Boy, I always do yodge, though. <laughs> or whatever, it gets messed up. <clears throat> you don't want to have yodge. 
And we see that the fruit of the Spirit is, in Galatians 5.22, love, joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we will have is God's character within us, His Spirit, and the Spirit of God has joy. Yes. And so joy for the believer comes from remaining in the Father's love, and that is through obedience. And we see that the joy of the Lord is our strength and all these other verses. And all this is to say that God is the source of joy, and His joy is that when sinners turn from sin and believe upon His Son, and they're saved, that is what brings Him joy. Does that bring you joy? It brings me joy when I see lives turned around to Christ. And let me tell you, when I was lost, I could care less. But the more that I follow the Lord, the more that He is in me and changing me, and the more that I obey Him and the more I follow Him, His joy becomes my joy and His plan becomes my plan. And, and I, I have joy when I see people, their lives turn. And so if that's the Father's heart, where do I want to be? I want to be in the middle of that some part of that. I, I want to support that. I want to be around that. I want to be praying for that, giving towards that, spending my time in that. Those people, precious people that the Lord would seek out and save. And this morning, that might be you. Jesus is concerned and focused on the lost sinner here and has been seeking you out over the hills and the valleys and desires to take you and put you on his shoulders and bring you home. It is his joy to do that. He goes after you. I remember when I first came back to the Lord, so to speak, as if I was seeking God out. He sought me. I remember sitting, I, I was leading worship, not leading worship, excuse me, I was playing guitar and all that kind of stuff, and I was supposed to lead worship, or not lead worship, I was supposed to uh, go to service with some Christian band, and they were going to lead worship, and so I was sitting out there, they didn't show up to the service, there were three services or two services at the time, so I'm like, great, now I need to sit and listen to this guy. Well, he was in this, this passage, and I remember sitting there listening, oh yeah, I remember that lost sheep thing from Sunday school, and God just kept, kept speaking to me, hey, that's you. I'm grabbing you. I'm bringing you home. And he has been faithful. He is so good. And believe me, I like to go off pasture all the time. He's good. He is faithful. It is his joy. When you hear his voice calling to you, turn towards him and abandon the world. Turn towards him and abandon the world and let him pick you up out of that pit of sin and carry you until you reach his house. And it brings him joy. There's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Did you know that? God freaks out. The, there is a party going on, so to speak, a heavenly party in heaven. The angels rejoice. That's the next section. And Jesus paints the picture even further here. So let's quickly go through this. Chapter uh, 15, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And so the first parable was with a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one lost sheep, and now a woman with ten silver coins seeking uh, the one that was lost. Have you ever lost anything of great value to you besides your car keys? But I mean like a wedding ring, something of great value to you. That, what, do you what do you do? Meh. <laughs> 
No, you do that with things that don't matter, but something of great value. You search, you turn up everything until you find it. And that's the picture here. You aggressively seek it out. The woman turned on the light. She swept the floor. Remember, they had dirt floors. She's sweeping the floor to find out if it got pushed into the ground or not. And and she was going all over the place until she found it. And that is a picture of what Christ was sent to do. He searches carefully for lost sinners. I take great comfort in that when I know that there are people that I love that do not know the Lord. That God's heart for that is even more than mine. I say even more than mine as if my measuring rod is correct. That's a great reminder. And when she finds it, verse 9, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and rejoice, says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels, God, over one sinner who repents. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. The angels are ministers of God who are, who are flaming uh, servants, so to speak. They're fiery servants, and they, they stand before the very presence of God, and there's joy there from His throne when one sinner repents. When you turned and, and you accepted Christ as your Savior, there was joy in the presence of the Father. The angels were aware of it. Isn't that extraordinary? I love that. I want more people to come to Jesus. Amen, don't you? It brings us joy. She searched carefully until she found it and then rejoiced. And so the pair is a parable with the shepherd with a hundred sheep seeking the one lost. Now a woman with ten silver coins seeking the one lost. And now the third parable, a father with a lost son. A father with a lost son. And Jesus continued. Now Jesus is he's 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 teeing the Pharisees up here. There's a subtext. Are you seeing it a little bit? He's gonna draw it out big time now. Jesus continued, verse eleven. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the, young son, uh, the young, younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to, the pit, to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I just have to make a point that Jesus is speaking to Jews here. There's a depth of culture that, that we might not grab on the surface as Americans. But there are several things that the younger son has done that would just make a religious Jew sick. Just absolutely abominable. First, he abandoned his father. You don't abandon your parents. That's why Jesus said, you must love me more than the others, right? You don't abandon your parents. You honor your father and mother. And it was the younger brother asking for his inheritance when the older brother is the one. There's a lot there. I don't want to get into it too deeply. But secondly, he went off to a far country. This could be viewed as living with Gentiles. It would have been the Gentiles, and we know that from the context. A Jew hanging out in a Gentile land, it just doesn't happen. 
the Jewish mindset was like, no, we're not going to do that. Thirdly, he squandered his inheritance. He just absolutely blew it. He lived wildly, fifthly. And we see that in just a bit, it's with prostitutes. He spent all his money on prostitutes. So he's sexually immoral. He's just losing his mind. And sixthly, he hired himself out to a Gentile to feed pigs, an unclean animal. And not only that, he was going to go down and eat the actual food that the animals would eat. And Jesus is painting this picture, and you can see the Pharisees just sitting there just by him talking about it. They are losing it. They're going, yuck, you're talking about Gentiles and pigs and not honoring your mother and father. Get me out of here. And, and, and they might have just gone, yeah, that guy is just horrible, wicked. He deserves to die. Like, keep him away, right? And how many of us have had those people in our lives? They have just gone off the rails. They've dishonored their mother and father. They've wasted all their money. They're living wildly. They're in a foreign land. They're freaking out. Anybody know anyone like that? Anyone was a person like that? But isn't that how sin works? You choose to do what you shouldn't, and there's a season of fun. But then some sort of famine hits your life. You try to recover, you try to do what you can to do, but eventually it gets you. And you end up doing what you thought you would never do. Anybody been in that situation? It just keeps spiraling down, down, down. And you find yourself in a situation to where you can never be satisfied and you're lost and you're in a pit. And there you are eating pig slop. And this is God's design for sin. God has built in to sin punishment, natural repercussions that happen. I know this is hard to think of, but think of Adam in the garden. The day that you do that, you will surely die. And then when he did do it, he experienced misery. He got kicked out of the garden. Work started to stink. His wife and him didn't get along anymore. All those things, you just read it out, right? That's just the modern sin story for everybody. And so when someone comes in and goes, I'm not getting along with my wife, I just go, okay, let's go to Genesis. There's sin here. It's very simple. And that misery is to drive you back to the goodness of God. Amen? It's grace. They would even put that in there. It's God designed that eventually it makes our lives increasing miserable so that we would what? We would verse 17. When he came to his senses, hopefully, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The weight of sin brings us to our knees when the Holy Spirit is convicting us. King David knew this well. In Psalm 32, 3-5, King David said, when I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. 
is in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. David knew this. He knew the weight of it. It was bearing down on him. And here in this parable, the son came to his senses after starving and realizing the provision that his father had and what horrible situation he was in, the sin he had committed. And he's thinking about what he would say to his father there. And it was, it was this humility within him. He became humbled. He wasn't coming pridefully back to his father. He had nothing to give, nothing to offer. He came to him and said, I have got nothing. If I could even be your servant, I would be so happy to do that. And that is how a person enters the kingdom of God, with nothing. It's called repentance. Amen. Verse 20, and so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Here Jesus is painting the picture of God the Father's compassion and love for lost sinners who repent. The Father saw him a long way off. What does that mean? What was the Father doing? He was waiting and watching. He was anticipating his return, hoping for it. When the father saw the lost son, what did he do? We're going to make sure he jumps through these 500 hoops. Then, what does he do? He runs towards him. The moment the father saw the sinner coming towards him, he ran towards him. The moment. And then he throws his arms around his lost son and kisses him. What had the, the son been doing for a living? Hanging out with pigs, being with prostitutes. Do you think he was really cleanly? I think he stunk. I think he stunk of sin. And I think he was all messed up. And what did the father do? Did he hose him down? Did he say, here, change these before I say hi to you? He ran up and threw his arms around that mess. And he kissed him as a father would a son. What a picture of the heart of God. And then the lost son, he, he confesses his sin to his father. He humbles himself and he gets out that first sentence. But notice the father cuts him off, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so they began to what? Celebrate. Celebrate. 
No sooner than had the confession come out of his mouth of, in, of a true and broken, con, contrite heart. The confession came out of his mouth towards his father before the father takes his best robe, puts it on him, and puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I love Isaiah 61, 10. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with His garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He clothes us in His righteousness. That shame is gone. And He gave him a ring. There's a lot with that could be. It could be focused towards gifts. When someone receives Christ, whatever it might be. But it's probably a signet ring is probably what it is. That the fact, the symbol that he had, the son had the authority and privileges of the father. He was reinstated and rights as a son. And he gave him sandals. Slaves usually didn't have sandals, but the sons and daughters did. He wasn't a slave, although he considered himself unworthy. God said, you're a son. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the what? The humble. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, and he will what? Lift you up. And he killed the fatted calf and celebrated the fact that his son was dead, but not alive. Although this is subtext, I believe the Lord puts this in here for a reason. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This was celebratory, but the fatted calf died. Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, one son for another. And in that new life, we find God celebrating. The Father celebrates Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Verse 27, your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back in safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we celebrate. We had to celebrate to be, and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Pharisees, they hated the fact that Jesus was pursuing and saving that younger brother. This room full of prostitutes and thieves and, and, and people who are full of greed and all this type of stuff, Jesus was hanging out with them and welcoming them and preaching the kingdom to them that they might come home. The Pharisee claimed they were righteous because they had kept all the rules. I've done all the rule things, God. They're full of pride. But the sinner, see, they came back before the Father, broken, in need of forgiveness, never expecting anything. 
falling at the mercy of God, the sinners who came to Christ in humility were forgiven and received. The Pharisees were jealous over the grace and attention given to these sinners. And Jesus points out through this parable the hardness of their hearts, pointing out this because they grumbled because Jesus had welcomed and ate with sinners to bring the dead to life, the lost to become found. And that is the joy of God. You are the joy of God. That you were far off, dead in your sins and trespasses. And he came and he preached the gospel of life to you. Repent and believe in my son. And you believed and you were changed and he clothed you in his righteousness, and he put a ring on your finger, and he gave you sandals. The the fatted calf has been slain for you. There's celebration and rejoicing. You are a son. You are a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is his joy. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy of Set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The joy that he endured because of you, because of me. I love that. This is what Christianity is about. It's about the joy of God in redeeming lost sinners. It brings Him glory. It brings Him glory. And His church, that's not the building, that's the body of believers who have experienced that forgiveness of God, who have been rescued and pulled out and given the righteousness of God, you've been justified by God and are being sanctified. You've experienced the grace of God in your life. Now he says to you, go do the same. Go seek out and save those which are lost. Tell them what I've done in your life. Show the change in your life by how you live. You don't go back out to the pig trough You stay in the Father's house. But we do go to the sinners and we hang out with them, not to become like them or to entertain with them or to become all these things, but we go to infiltrate and to give the gospel message and to grab the lost and to bring them into the fold of God, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us, by the way. That's not you, it's Him in through you. So today, as we come to the communion, if Stephen, if you could go grab the kids. <clears throat> as we come to communion, some of your time, it's your first time having communion here. We want to honor the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so if you are not saved, this is not for you, although we welcome you to receive Christ as Savior and do that right now, amen? Seriously, right now, if you have never given your heart to the Lord and you know that you're that person far off, Call out to him from your heart and say, God, I am lost. And I I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and all my sins. And now I choose to turn from that and follow you. If that's you, 
pray that to the Lord and choose that this day for you abandon everything else and you follow Him. And He will save you. And as you do, you're welcome to come to the table and become one. And so as we come to the table, remember those things. Remember the sacrifice that we are one with Christ and that it is His joy for you to come and to have fellowship with Him as you remember the sacrifice of His Son, the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed that our sins might go away. The fatted calf has been slain. Amen? And we are now sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So as you come to the table, do it with a, with a heart like that. Keep that in mind. If you have something against your brother or sister, take care of it now. Walk over to them and, and ask for forgiveness. We need to have that. You don't want to be one of those Pharisees, right? Grumbling about someone else and all that kind of stuff. So let's have um, the team come up as we do this. And, and we just invite you to come and take the elements and bring them back to your seat. Pray with one another or group up with people. And then I'll close us in prayer, okay? We'll sing a song together and we'll close in prayer. So praise the Lord. Tell the world of the treasure you found. you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you, and we go out in your joy. Amen.